Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi, this is Ivy Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. I'm also the host of Moms Don't Have Time to Lose Weight, and I'm the editor of the anthology, which you should run out and buy, called Moms Don't Have Time to, a quarantine anthology. All proceeds of that book go to COVID-19 vaccine research. And I'm the editor-in-chief of Moms Don't Have Time to Write, a new publication on Medium, and we're accepting submissions, so please send your personal essays there. And if all that isn't enough, you can follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens, and my website is zibbyowens.com. Okay, now back to this amazing podcast. Jessica Anya Blau is the author of Mary Jane. She's also the author of the nationally best-selling novel, The Summer of Naked Swim Parties, and three other critically acclaimed novels. Most recently, The Trouble with Lexi. Her novels have been recommended and featured on CNN, NPR, The Today Show, and in Vanity Fair, Cosmo, Oprah's Summer Reads, and many other national magazines and newspapers. Welcome, Jessica. Thanks so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to Discuss Mary Jane's. Yay. Thank you for having me. I love all your multiple platforms and media and I go through it all and listen to things and I think you're wonderful. So thank you for having Aww. me. You're so sweet. Thank you. Well, I'm delighted to have you too. I love your sense of humor that is in this book. I mean, I don't know if that was a primary intention and maybe we should start with you telling listeners what your book is about and what inspired you to write it and all that. But I just like you're like so quick-witted and like this sort of dark sense of humor. I just loved it. It's just so funny. Anyway, loved it. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. So the book is about a 14-year-old girl in Baltimore in 1975, who is the summer nanny for a psychiatrist who lives down the street. And over the summer, she discovers, or immediately she discovers that he's housing a very famous rock star and a movie star as the rock star tries to sober up and they're hiding in on the third floor of this house in Baltimore. So that's it. That's That was the premise. And that's what I sat down to write. I wrote this book. I had been, I ghostwrite sometimes and I had been ghostwriting for a celebrity and she, she was lovely and she was very fun. And, you know, we had a great time and she had no boundaries, which 
you know, as you probably know, a lot of, I'm from California, so I'm actually used to people who don't have boundaries. It's like, <laughs> I can deal with it. Somebody's like, Hey, no boundaries. Like, I'm like, okay, I'm in. So she had no bound, you know, it was like FaceTiming from bed with her celebrity husband every night, you know, and it was just like phoning every day and, and the entire, you know, history of her sex life with every celebrity in Hollywood, which was very extensive and interesting and fun to listen about you know, to hear about. And, you know, we kept, I kept writing chapters and writing chapters and writing chapters and everything she told me, she didn't want in the book. So it was this incredibly creatively frustrating thing where she would spend, you know, 10 days telling me about every star she'd ever had sex with. And then I'd write a chapter of it. I would hide everybody's name and, you know, try and disguise who they were. And then she, "Ah, I don't want to put that in the book. And then we'd, she'd tell me, spend a week talking about her famous family and this and that. And then "Ah, I don't want to put that in the book. And then we'd spend two weeks talking about movie sets and certain movies she was on. And then "Ah, I don't want to put that in the book. And it was just like, you know, I was trying to write and trying to write. And it was like, I couldn't write it. Like she's, you know, and so we were kind of at a crossroads and she fired me, which was. Oh no. Well, we, we had read her diaries together. And we were reading the diaries and they were very smart and funny and they were interesting. And I said, oh, you should just publish these diaries. And then two days later, she decided she was going to write the book herself and she fired me. So it was, of course, that terrible humiliation of being fired and anger and heartbreak. You know, it's like it's like a guy breaking up with you or a woman breaking up with you. It's like a lover breaking up with you. It's like a friend leaving you. And then it's the humiliation of losing a job. It was just like, And I was just so sort of heartbroken and angry and upset and frustrated. And then I just thought, oh, I just, I just want to write what I want to write without anybody else having veto power or saying, I don't want to say that, or I don't want to reveal that, or I don't want to, you know, I just, it was so hard. And I'd ghostwritten for other people before, and I'd never had that problem before. So, you know, I'd ghostwritten a few books. So it was, it was a new thing that everything I did was rejected. So... I sat down and I was like, I'm just, you know, it was, it was almost like a rage write at first. It was like, I was so mad. And I just thought, I'm just going to write what I want to write. And I sat down and I started writing Mary Jane and I was just, you know, I wanted it to be 1975. And I was listening to billboards, top 100 songs from 1975, the whole time I was writing and I turned it up at the end of the day and dance in the kitchen and empty the dishwasher, you know? And I mean, I was just, I just was, completely liberated. Like I'd felt liberated and it felt really good just to have my voice be the only voice and my say be the say of, okay, this works and I'm going to do this. And so that's how I wrote Mary Jane. Wow. Well, you know, it's so great when the, when the person writing the book is like going through some of the emotions that are actually in the book, you know, like you were clearly on this like journey, not that that happened in in the story or anything, but even just that image of you dancing around, like that is so great. Like how can you then read a book and feel anything but that same sense of sort of like perseverance and joy and all of that, right? It's like, it seeps in there. Yeah. I mean, that's interesting. It reminds me of, what was that book? Was it Isabel Allende? The one where she, they would put the tears and the food they were making and you'd feel. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Was it? Yes. Was that like water for chocolate or am I mixing? I was, yeah, I was going to say that. And then I was like, no, I'm sure I'm wrong. Yes. I think it was wrong. Or we both might, we both might be wrong, but I'm on the same. Yes. That's what I think it is too. (laughs) No, that's just interesting. I love that you said that. That's so interesting. Yeah. Because maybe it was, I mean, there was so emotionally, I was in such a sort of state as I entered this book. And, and so maybe, yeah, maybe it does come out. Maybe it's like cooking with tears. 
It's true. It's so true. Yeah. My husband cooks a lot and he's always like, well, you can, I'm like, your food always tastes better. He's like, that's because like I put my love into it. He's like, oh. I could give the same ingredients to a chef at a restaurant. It's not going to taste the same because oh. like the emotion is out of it. So anyway, I feel like it's a parallel to this, this story. Yeah, that's <laughs> sweet. Well, and then a lot of this was written during COVID and I was just like, feeling like all I wanted was to go to a dance party and all I wanted was to like hug people and touch people and, and just, you know, just snuggle with somebody in a bed. I mean, I have kids too. I started having kids in my twenties, so they're out of the house now. So I, you know, so you in the book, I'm definitely was putting in the things I need, like Mary Jane, you know, holding Izzy or getting hugged or dancing, you know, just this sort of like communal togetherness feeling physically and emotionally connected with someone was such a fantasy just because of COVID and lockdown. So I was definitely, that was coming out in the book as well. I love it. There's like the scene at the end, I'm not giving anything away, but when she like euphorically kind of jumps in the car and they're all so excited, like Mary Jane, you're back. And they're like all together again. You know, it was like a, I felt like it was like a scene from almost famous or something, you know, like it, it had that same like rock band gangs together again, you know, excitement to it. So I could see that. Yeah. Just being part of something, being part of a group. Yeah. You know, I mean, I am such a pack animal and COVID has been so hard on me, you know, and just being part of a little pod, you know, uh, you know, I like to be in a litter. Like I would love to be like with six people in a litter. Yeah. Well, come on over. I have four kids and a husband, you know, there are at least six people in the house most of the time. So <laughs> you're like, I wanted like six kids. I just thought I had two, but I wanted six. I just thought it would be so much fun. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> well, anyway, <laughs> you're doing great. You're doing an amazing amount of things for four kids back there. Oh, well, I'm kind of cheating. My son's at boarding school, so he'll be back in a couple of weeks. But anyway, so it's like three and a half at the moment. <laughs> there's a lot in the book too about obviously addiction, right? Because there's the psychiatrist and Jimmy is there for treatment. And that's sort of the premise of the whole thing. But I love this quote from Sheba. And you said, well, she said, well, we're all addicts of some sort. Part of being alive is figuring out the balance between what you want, what you need, and what you have with what you don't want, don't need, and don't have. And then she says, I mean, Jimmy, man, you are so not alone here. This whole family, each of us, we're all addicts in one way or another. Tell me a little bit more about that and sort of the addiction to other things, not just how we're all kind of addicted to something. Well, I mean, you know, I do feel that. <laughs> like, I do feel that in life. And, you know, and it, it really is like, how do you, how do you, find, how do you find the balance? How do you let go of certain things? I mean, everything, you know, love and hate, even being angry, you know, people get hooked into being angry about something. It's like, there's so much that we need to let go of and so much that we need to grasp and maybe not grasp as much. So, I mean, there, it is such a part of life, just balancing all this. And I mean, it's interesting because COVID also has been, a lot of it has been letting go, like a process of letting go and acceptance and and just sort of being where you are and accepting where you are and, you know, and that, that kind of stuff. And, you know, as far as addictive, you know, behaviors, I've certainly had, had mine, but I've, I've also, you know, been with people and a family member, you know, I've had a lot of it. I think we all have, haven't we? Don't we all? all Everybody's got a story. (laughs) We all have people in our lives and families and all that stuff. And it's, I mean, I think maybe the difference between people who are writing and, but it's just, it, you're either willing to talk about it or you're not. 
So, you know, how do we talk about it or do we talk about it? And and certainly everybody doesn't need to talk about anything. I mean, I don't write memoir, I write fiction, but there is in all my fiction really is my internal life is being processed through there, you know, and Mary Jane, you know, one of my daughters read the book and she's like, mom, Mary Jane is exactly you. It's just you, <laughs> you know, like, well, you know, and then a, you know, close friend read it and he was like, that's not you. You were like making out on the beach and drinking beer at 14. I was like, I, I was making out on the beach at 14. Drinking, I grew up in Southern California and drinking beer. But internally, like as my daughters know me, that is me. Like I love organization and alphabet. Like I see your bookshelves are color and so are yeah. mine. <laughs> you know, I mean, I love like alphabetizing and color. I mean, I just, I love like purity and cleanliness and order. And I love singing and dancing and I love Broadway musicals. Yeah. I mean, there's just so much to love in the world. So really internally it is me. Although at 14, I was a little more rebellious. I mean, I was in Southern California. It was, you can't, you couldn't help it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Here in New York, everybody was very buttoned up. I'm sure. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> New York and California, everywhere in between. I mean, who knows? I mean, right. Everybody, right. In, in Indiana, they're taking a truck out to the cornfield and right. Yeah. Everybody, you know, this is why I'm like terrified about having twin teenagers at the moment. So how old are they? <laughs> I'm like, I know what I was doing. Uh, what are they going to be doing? What? They will be 14 very soon. Uh, boys or girls? Boy, girl. Oh, wow. Boy and girl, yeah. So. Well, I did find in motherhood because I did, you know, I had so many, I mean, I, you know, I was never completely off the rails, like, you know, and so I never stole. I mean, I tried not to steal or cheat or lie, you know, do terrible things, but it would, did do, you know, they'd sneak out my window at night and go out with a boy and go to the beach and try and sneak back in at four in the morning, you know, and, and stuff like that. So there was, but there was, I mean, I don't know if you're fine with kids. It was like, you know, my kids, daughters would do things and it's like, eh, I did that. You know, it was kind of like, am I really going to care or get up? You know, it's like, you want them to have boundaries and and you want them to sort of be contained and feel like there's some safe netting around them so they don't totally go off. But it's almost like everything they did was pretty forgivable because kind of I did it too. It's like, yeah. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. This episode is sponsored by Better Help. Sometimes we all have stuff we need to get off our chests. Even if we don't think it's interfering with our daily life, there are some things you just haven't processed, be it grief or trauma, eating disorders, anything. It might be time to work on those things, and I have a solution for you. Therapy. 
online therapy by BetterHelp. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. I took the brief questionnaire online where there were, I don't know, 20 questions. It didn't take long at all, maybe three minutes. And then I got matched with a therapist who could help me work on whatever. I picked trauma because even though it happened in 2001, I am somehow still not over the loss of my friend on 9-11. And it is what it is. BetterHelp is going to help. And I am so excited, especially because with my special code, instead of $80 a month, it is 10% off, $72 a month, which is so much less than traditional therapy. And you'll get a perfect therapist for you. There are 35,000 therapists to choose from. So you'll find the right one. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash moms don't have time today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash moms don't have time. Okay. So tell me a little more about your writing process in general and like how you got your start. Like when did you, tell me about like your first published book and like how you became a writer. Yeah. So I was, you know, I married my college boyfriend and we had a baby right away and we, he had, he got a job in Canada. So we were in Toronto and in Toronto, part of the thing was I wasn't allowed to work or go to school. They wouldn't give me a permit. So I suddenly was home. It was just like, and I was kind of going crazy. I've always been a reader like you, you know, I mean, just reading like mad my entire life. And so I was home and and he brought a computer home from work. And I was like, oh, and I just started writing stories. And so I was lonely. I didn't know anyone. I was in the middle of Toronto and we moved there in, you know, in the fall and it got cold really quickly. And I was lonely and I was alone and I got a dog because I thought, well, that'll help. And I just would, I found that if I wrote every day, I felt like I was okay. Like, cause I would clean the house and I would, I mean, I was a complete, I was a bella booster, just like <laughs> in the house, grocery shopping, take, you know, just taking care of everything. And I felt so sort of pointless. I felt so useless. But when I, I noticed that if I wrote every day, I felt like an okay, I felt okay about myself. And so I was just writing and writing and writing. And so I spent a year writing just every single day. And I it was a secret. I didn't tell anyone. In fact, I was home in California and I ran into an old friend and she said, What have you been doing up in Toronto? I said, Oh, you know, I've I've been writing every day. And she said, You have? Do you have your own horse? I thought, yeah, no, no, not right. Right. You know, <laughs> she, she couldn't even think, you know, it was so secret. So I, at the end of that year, I had, you know, a bunch of short stories. And actually the truth is I had them on a disc and I gave them to this husband. I gave him one to print off and he printed it off. And then I had a year's worth of work on a disc and I gave him the disc. I said, can you just print off these stories on this thing? And he actually ended up losing the disc. So <gasps> a year's worth of work. No, it's just, completely gone. But, you know, I figure it was me teaching myself how to write. So it was probably garbage anyway, but there I got one short story printed and I mailed that short story out and it was published. And I was just so shocked at the time. I just thought, Oh, that's really strange. You know, because I hadn't told anyone was writing. I didn't show anyone anything. And I just mailed out the story. And I just remember thinking just like, I almost, not almost, I really couldn't believe it. I thought they're, they're, they're going to publish this. And then I thought, well, maybe, maybe I'm maybe I'm doing an okay job here. Like maybe it's okay. So I thought, well, maybe I should apply to graduate school. So I applied to graduate schools and, and I went and then, so, and then when I got in, I was like, oh, okay. Now I, okay. Now I think I can say it out loud. I still almost didn't want to say it out loud, you know, that I'm writing. 
And then I went and I just was publishing short stories and all that. And then I was at Breadloaf. Did do you know what is that this writer? I do. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I was at Breadloaf and Lynn Freed was there, that the South African writer who I just love I love her books so much. And she had told we were in this workshop and she told everybody to write one short story. And in her South African voice, the word write sounds like rat. And she said, everybody just rat one story. No, rat one line, one sentence. Just rat one good sentence. Everybody rat one good sentence. And I thought, oh, I gotta, I gotta rat a good sentence. I gotta rat a good sentence. What am I gonna rat? What am I gonna rat? And I rat one sentence, you know, just one sentence. And it was a memory of being a kid in Southern California. And my parents and all their friends would swim naked and they have these big naked swim parties. And the kids, we'd all have our bathing suits on and they were always naked. And so it was just a memory of sitting on this, you know, and this was in the seventies and stuff, just sitting on the steps of a pool and and watching one of my parents' friends and man naked, jumping up and down on a diving board (laughs) and like instantly understanding male anatomy in a way. (laughs) Like I had thought things were farther apart from each other. I didn't realize they were. (laughs) And so it was this bizarre moment where I was like, oh, wow, weird. You know, it was just, and so I wrote this, just one sentence about that observation and Lynn Freed, who's writing, I love and I adore. She was just so like, you know, you know, she was very complimentary. And so I felt really good about it. And then later on at Bread Love, I'd been, I was talking to this sort of famous editor who has since died. And she had read a short story of mine in a magazine. And she mentioned that she had loved this short story. And I thought it, you know, and so it's like, you you know, writing, you get so anxious writing. It's like my, you know, my heart. And I was like, oh, you read that story. You like that story. And she said, yeah, do you, do you have a book? Cause you need to have a book. And I said, oh, I'm working on a book right now. And she said, you are. And I, I wasn't, I mean, in my head, I, you know, and so I hadn't, I just, I didn't have, and she said, well, what's the name of the book? And all I could think of was that one sentence I had written for Lynn Freed. And I said, um, the summer of naked swim parties. And she said, oh, that sounds great. Let me know when you finish it. And so then I thought, well, I better go write that book. So then I went and wrote that book and that was my first book. Wow. It was, you know, so it was just sort of a, I mean, I guess I was always a writer because I was somebody who kept diaries and filled them and filled them and filled them, you know, so I have diaries. So in really, I'd been practicing writing since, you know, second grade, you know, writing in a diary every day, but I just didn't realize it. And so it was, you know, by the time I was writing, I didn't realize you know, I really have been practicing at this for a while. So it was, so anyway, that's, that's where it started. And that was the first book. Wow. And then you said you wrote part of this during COVID, which I find like that just happened. So you were like, this came out so fast then tell me about like the process of that. Like, did you just whip out after you got over the, the breakup with the movie star? Was it, did it all just come pouring out of you like very quickly? The fastest book ever. Yeah. Pouring Mm -hmm. out. Yeah. No, pouring out of me really fast. And then because I am such a, like, I have been living in Baltimore when I started the book, actually. And that was right before COVID. And in Baltimore, I used to go to cafes and I would sit in cafes with other friends who wrote. And we would sit there and we would write, you know, and you'd say, okay, we're not going to talk until, you know, you pick a time. And so then we'd write and then we'd look up and you talk for a few minutes and then we write. And so I just write in these cafes, you know, and then get in the car, put on 70s go home, put on 70s music, dance around, listen to music. And then in the end of December, I moved here to New York City. And and then COVID happened in March. So it's, you know, so then I was here in New York and trying to write in cafes, but I didn't know anyone and just sort of writing by myself. And yeah, it was, it was sad. It deserves an awe. 
because <laughs> I was so lonely. You know, I joined a gym and they had like a little workspace in the gym. And so I could sit in the workspace at the gym and I'd at least see other people and I would write there. So, and then once we locked down, I started FaceTiming with friends and we would write together. So we'd, you know, you'd get on FaceTime and be like, okay, we're not going to talk for, and then we'd write and then we'd look up and talk and we write. So, you know, I, I just am not an isolation alone person. So I wrote, you know, through all that stuff and then all of the second drafts and the editing and the proof, you know, the ending was the car scene that you mentioned, the driving off. That's actually where I originally ended the book. It wasn't exactly as it is when you read it. It was slightly different because it was the end of the story. But I was thinking sort of like that. Do you remember the movie Thelma and Louise? Mm -hmm. That just beautiful freeze frame at the end in the car. I had this sort of vision of this like liberation, even though I think they're going to kill themselves in the movie, but that's not (laughs) definitely no, nobody's killing themselves in this book, but it was like this, just this sort of liberation moment, freeze frame car. My editor, Kate was like, no, no, you can't end it there. Like, no, this is crazy. So the ending was like, I don't know, because I've lost sense of time in COVID, but I feel like it was maybe three months or four months of me writing an ending, sending to Kate, her rejecting it, writing an ending, you know, and then we'd be on the phone discussing it. And she'd be like, we have to feel that we want, you know, me just thinking about it and trying to process it and get in my head and get the right feel and the right emotion. Like emotionally, where do you want to end up and how do we end up there? And so the ending was just, you know, a lot of, a lot of work all here with somebody on FaceTime, you know, talking to myself, you know, you say, I'm always talking to myself and what? Never mind myself. Well, when COVID, when everything is back to normal, I'm also in New York. So you can come over here at some point. I love it. Yes. When all the kids are there, I want like the chaos of kids. Yeah. Or other writers. So you're not alone, you know, no, there's lots, tons of writers everywhere in this day. I feel like, No, are you working on a new book now? I'm working on a new book now, and I think it's due in June, but there's been, I've been doing so much other pre-pub stuff and all this stuff. So I think it might be a little, might be a little late though. I'm, I'm usually really good at deadlines, but there's just been a lot of chaos and upheaval and, you know, as you know. Can you say anything about it? You don't have to. Okay. <laughs> okay. Forget it. Don't forget it. Okay. How about, do you have any advice for aspiring authors? Yeah. I, you know, I think I do. I mean, I always need to take my own advice too, because I'm you know, such a nut job. But for me, it is sort of, you know, I mean, people say like, what do they say? Like, know your reader, write for an or whatever. I'm sort of the opposite. It's sort of like, ignore your reader and write, like liberate yourself. I mean, there's, there's so much like fear and anxiety and fear, fear of a perceived reader and fear of like, is my mother going to read this? Or is my husband going to, you know, or it, will my kids read this? And, and of course you don't want to, shame people and out, you know, I mean, like other than taking care of the emotional needs of the people you love in the world, it's like even writing the simplest thing, people are so scared, myself included. And so I think the advice, the best advice for me is, is always this just sort of let go of fear, just let go of fear and follow your heart. I mean, you know, and following your heart means following your true artistic impulse and not not the perceived things. Oh, people, everybody wants a vampire book. I'm going to write about a vampire. Oh, everybody wants this. I'm going to write about this. I mean, people say to me, oh, I'm thinking of, you know, it seems like everybody likes blank. So I'm thinking of a book where blank, blank, blank. And it's like, well, is that really what you want to write? Because writing is hard. Like, how can you do it perfectly unless it's really what you want? Like, if you think of painters was 
you know, Jackson Pollock thinking, you know, I, I think splatter art would be in next. I'm going to just split, you know what I mean? Like you have to really go for your true individual point of view, like your heart, your soul, and your very, very particular point of view, which is the only thing that great art is. It's one particular person's point of view in anything. So I think to do that, that's why it's scary because you're, it's so personal and is your particular point of view, even when it's fiction. So my advice to bring it all back would be just to accept that you're afraid and do it anyway. Let go of the fear, accept the fear and just move straight through it. I love that. Awesome. Well, thank you, Jessica. Thanks so much for coming on my show and for getting to, you know, chit chat today. Thank, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Okay. All right. All right. Well, take care. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. 